0: Okay, this is the fifth major talk of the golfing season powered by Pinnacle. You might be thinking fifth. Well, there's only four majors. Well, actually, there's not. In my opinion, there's actually six. We've had one which culminated yesterday um, before the start of play um, at the Ryder Cup this week, which was the Solheim Cup. And we're going to talk to our very own Sophie Walker, who's with us on the podcast, who was there at uh, Finca. And also Brian Nicholson, who is a resident now on Major Talk here with the Pinnacle podcast and myself, James Gregg, as well. Of course, we're going to be talking all about the Ryder Cup because that is what is coming up. That is what we're previewing. That is where you can find a bit of value, hopefully over the course of the next half an hour or so on this podcast. Uh, But Sophie Walker, you have just returned from Spain, um, a magnificent retaining of the Solheim Cup for Team Europe. That atmosphere was absolutely electric. And I mean, we were just saying just before we press record on this podcast that there is no difference at all between the Solheim Cup and the Ryder Cup in terms of drama, in terms of quality golf, in terms of excitement and what it delivers and what it means to the players. How was it? Just how was being there? Because it must have, I was so jealous that you were there yesterday.
1: Well, I have to apologise for everyone that's listening. I don't have much of a voice right now. (laughs) It was unbelievable. It it, it felt like Europe had lost the Solheim Cup on Friday morning. They got whitewashed 4-0 and then, then the comeback came and they just kept climbing back up that mountain. And it looked, on Sunday, looked decent. Then here we go. And then the Americans on the back nine turned it round and I'm writing all my USA, you know, winning lines yeah, And next thing you know, it, it switches again. Caroline bird birdies five of the last six, and Carlotta Zaganda, the Spaniard, brings it home with a couple of birdies coming in. And yeah, it, she, it was was she, oh, she was
2: great our oh, week, wasn't she? Yeah. yeah,
1: it was just phenomenal. Yeah. And, and some of the stuff that I learned at the Solheim I'm going to bring into this podcast, one thing a lot of when I worked with some of the American team, um, NBC, they said how hard it is to be an American rookie on European soil. That was a big one that they were saying. That they were also um, talking about the fact that Carlotta Zaganda went 4-0, the Spaniard went 4-0. So the the, the passion, you, you can clearly see those team players. There was also players that were willing to run through a wall for Suzanne Pettersen and played all five matches. Now, with Marco Simone, we're all saying there's no way anybody will play five matches. Finka Corteseng was exactly the same terrain. It was a golf cart course, canyons, hills, very long, but three players on the European team played all five. So I think there's lessons to be learned from from a Solheim moving into a Ryder Cup in terms of what we're going to talk about today?
0: I think so. I think so. Um, Next year, we will do a Solheim Cup podcast or the next time it comes around because it's absolutely well worth talking about. It's well worth getting into the nitty gritty and previewing it in the same way that we are doing with the Ryder Cup. Um, That has gone, unfortunately. Um, It was brilliant though. And you know what I don't like? It's a precursor uh, for the Ryder Cup or it was a nice warm-up because no, the two separate events... And they are absolutely brilliant. I know what people mean when they say that. Um, but no, for me, it's it, its its own thing and it deserves its own kind of, um, you know, hype and everything around it. And it's definitely not a curtain raiser. That is, that's, I think that's, we've got to be absolutely right when we say that. So, um, headed to Italy. I'm headed there tomorrow. Sophie, you're also headed there. um, Probably in a few hours, you've not had very long at home. Uh, Brian, you'll be watching with keen interest as well. Uh, Just before we get going, I should just... Stuck stuck at home again. (laughs) Stuck stuck at home, but you're soaking it on the TV, mate. And actually, (laughs) having been to a Ryder Cup before, um, I do think, and Sophie, you might back me up on this. Just give me a nod if you do or you don't, but actually you see way more golf watching on the TV. You actually see, you soak it up. If you've got a monitor to watch some of the different holes and action going on, if you're stuck with one group, you don't really get a massive feel for what's happening. You might see a bit of red or blue on the board. There's no context behind it and you kind of need to watch it back anyway. I suppose that's good. You get double whammy golf. The 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 odds on Pinnacle, um, we just have outrights at the moment. We will get into some of the head-to-heads when it's foursomes, four balls and the like later on in the week. But as we record... Uh, USA heavy favourites, 1.98 on Pinnacle uh, to win the Ryder Cup. Uh, Europe is uh, 2.120. So despite all the nonsense from your uh, US Ryder Cup captain, Zach Johnson saying that they're headed to Marco Simone as underdogs. Yeah, that's not how we've got it at Pinnacle. And then a tie is actually, in my opinion, pretty good value at 12.8. So there we have it. And actually having seen what we've seen uh, in, in Spain at Finca, um, I think it's fair to say that um well it's going to be it's always going to be a close affair, isn't it? having said that, having said that, USA last time a record victory nineteen points to nine it was the last time around on home soil, a bit COVIDy, a European team in transition um but Brian, um how have you what are your initial thoughts when you're looking at this week? what are you looking for the most with some of your models that you've got?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, I think the um, the odds are pretty they're, they're pretty what well, they should, they're pretty fair at the moment. Uh, a few only a month or two ago, they were actually uh, the USA were really heavy favourites, but now the market has brought it into close enough to fifty fifty, and I think that's about right. I think I think it's going to be a really kind of tight um, Ryder Cup, and there is a way of if you fancy it on either side, if it's going to be Europe or the USA, if you were to pick a few of the close scores. It's a process called touching and you can just raise the price up that way. If you were to buy, say, the three types of scores for either of the sides, if you just go with Europe or if you went with, with the USA for that, it would pay around, uh, with Europe, it would pay around 7-2 to on your total outlay. So that would be instead of the, whatever they are now, 2.12. So there's quite a bit of value in that if you do fancy a tight kind of game. And yeah, that's kind of a good angle that we're looking at in, in the kind of the correct score market. Um, I can't really see any advantage to either side if you're looking at the course fit. I think it's a course that just kind of suits everybody more strategic kind of course. Although I was looking at, it a few, I was researching the course there a bit, and some of the bigger drivers can take take some of the corners off the dog legs or take some of the fairway bunkers out of play and be coming in with um shorter irons or whatever. And there's obviously a lot of risk reward. There's a short par four. It's a long par five. Now I think it was actually reduced from a par. There was going to be a par seventy two at one stage, I think. But now there's a five hundred and twenty five um, yard par four. I think that's number eight, I think that is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Or, yeah, number eight. And yeah, I just I don't think there's any sort of an edge to be found in terms of course fifth for either side. Maybe in the four balls and the foursomes. If you're if you're backing that in play, maybe stick with um, the European side and the the foursomes maybe go with the, the USA and the four balls although I'm saying that again it looks like we might be seeing uh, Colin Marikawa with Max Homer I mean those two would be absolutely brilliant in either format so
0: and then you got you got Sander and Cantlay and you wouldn't want really to be coming up against them either would you? <laughs> no exactly they they have they are formed a formidable partnership and obviously the US Ryder Cup team and sort of President's Cup, C- Cup team, you could say Team USA overall, they obviously have that opportunity to gel with, with each other in that kind of environment, albeit against a usually slightly weaker international side as we saw last year and we're probably going to see next year in Canada. Um, Sophie, I don't know what you've been hearing murmurs about Marco Simoni in terms of the course setup, but when I was at Wentworth last week, um, chatting to a couple of the caddies who'd been out there for the little pre-warm-up the Monday of Wentworth with the European Ryder Cup team, They were saying it was set up brutally with long, long, thick rough each side of every single fairway, knee high, um, narrow landing points all the way up. You know, not talking favouring the longer hitters, wider at 300 yards and that kind of thing, which we've seen, you know, years and years gone by. Um, I just can't really work out what that suits and who that suits more. So give us a little bit of your insight into that.
1: Yeah, right. I've heard the same and, and the sense that the ropes aren't against the fairways, they're further out. So it's not like the fans will be able to trample all that rough down. By all accounts, it's somebody that is long, but also straight off the tee. Whereas in Paris at Le Golf National, it was more about accuracy. Here, it's it's got to be long and straight as well. So you've, you've got to be looking at good drivers of the golf ball, which is, one of the reasons that love, Luf- well, Ludwig, Aberg, Ludwig, Arberg, however you want to say, got the nod because currently on the PGA Tour, even though he's been there such a short time, he's leading that like total driving. Mm. So that that would be something that you uh, have got to look into. Also, that's other than being Scottish Scheffler's friend, that's probably why Sam Burns got a nod also yeah. in the Americans American team, and why the likes of a Bryson DeChambeau wouldn't because you've, you've got to be, be long and pretty straight. That, that, they sell courses, they always say, to suit a certain side, but yeah. most of the European players play on the PGA Tour now, so I, I can't really see that. There are the sense that um, Hoygaard Niklai Heugard has won around Marco Simone, so you can go on to the DP World um, website and check on who's played well around there. And in terms of course setup, that's, sort of, that's normally played in the in the summertime as well. And when we looked at it, comparing it to Paris last time when it was in your in Europe, those players that played the French Open well played the Ryder Cup well. So you want to be looking at that at the same time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And actually, if you look at that, you've got Bobby McIntyre, obviously Ryder Cup rookie, one of four and european team who's also won around that golf course it's a course that actually we have been familiar with for the last few years with the italian open there the other one obviously that uh, winner around there being uh, adrian moronk who missed out but hey we're not going to be talking about him this week but that's um it's obviously a blueprint isn't it in terms of actually it it obviously helps doesn't it having it on a golf course that a lot of these guys are familiar with fitzpatrick actually lost in a playoff to robert mcintyre last year Um, You look at Sepp Stracker, great driver of the golf ball. We all know about John Rahm when he's on song. Rory, he's driven it absolutely fantastically for the best part of 18 months. So you you could say that, you know, maybe it does suit the, uh, the European team a little bit more. But absolutely, Sophie, I think that, you know, and I'll bring Brian in again on this, is that in years gone by, and we're talking 20 years or so ago, when the Belfry, for example, was hosting the Ryder Cup, they would have it set up familiar for those european players you knew what the european players had because they were playing predominantly on the european tour and the us team i mean bomb and gouge you know these long bombers you can't keep it on the short grass and that kind of stuff so actually i think that that gap has narrowed slightly um also what has narrowed the gap was the captain's picks wasn't it you alluded it to it a little bit there so obviously sam burns getting the nod for uh, Zach Johnson's side, Brooks Kepka, who only narrowly missed out on automatic qualification, but obviously, as we all know, uh, despite barely playing in any qualifying tournaments, just the majors, and obviously that major win at the USPGA really helped. Uh, Colin Morikawa, Ricky Fowler, um, who you can't really argue with Ricky Fowler because his form has been really good over the last 12 months. Jordan speak questions perhaps, but again, been fairly solid and consistent. And obviously the glaring one was just in Thomas in terms of, um, the fact that he missed out on the PJ Tour playoffs and he barely had anything to shout about all season long. Having said that, good result a couple of weeks back at the uh, Fortinet Championship up in California. So actually, I think, you know, when you, if you'd have asked us 12 months ago, if we'd have recorded this a year, with one year to go, for example, we'd have probably been saying, hmm, doesn't look good for Luke Donald and what he's got on his plate. But I feel that that has narrowed the gap, Brian. Would you say that? Is that is that something that your are modelling showing?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I just say, say I have a few things here written down about um, the actual course experience, of course, history, first of all, at the Marco Simone Club. And as you said, Fitzy's been there, he's been second. Even Rory is a top five there. I have Fleetwood was second there as well in, the last, in one of the tournaments over the last three years. It was last year, actually. And even Hatton has a top ten there as well. And I don't know, it is, it is, a, it is a tough one like, because Whistling Straight, they, they actually did... What we did to them in 2018 in the French Open when Thomas Bjorn just literally had the, the fairways really, really skinny and the, the rough was the rough was just so far up. And I was literally adamant for the whole year that the market was completely the, the wrong way around just because of that. Because they did have a lot of um, kind of plotters and strategic kind of players then in the European side. And that's kind of the way it worked out. Um, Every every drive nearly from the French, from the, 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 the USA side nearly ended up in the rough and they just couldn't play from it. Whereas at Whistling Straits, the bomb and gouge kind of style was there. That the rough down and all the big hitters, and they really had a big advantage on us on the Europeans then. And obviously the big record to kind of win there. Like so, I don't know. I was like, I, I kind of actually see a lot of similarities in Marco Simone with the golf national, actually, just in the aesthetics. The kind of wispy rough for the errant on the outside and the mounding, even the mounding around the greens and that, and then. Another course will be similar to that with the 2010 course at Celtic Manor as well. So you can look at, you can look at loads of different angles and, but, um, as you were saying earlier, I think, yeah, Aberg probably, Sophie was saying that, yeah, I think Aberg probably got onto the radar at the start because of Eduardo Molinari. He's doing the data analytics for, as one of the vice captains on the European mm-hmm. side. And Aberg was, yeah, he was leading the strokes gained off the teeth. That's since he turned pro until I think the picks and he was ahead of McElroy and Scheffler. So that's probably what put him onto the radar in the first place. But then fair play to him, he went on and he won at what's actually a very tight course in Cron. So, you know, he wouldn't be surprised to see him. You know, well, my only issue about him is obviously he wouldn't have been in any sort of environment like that before with the pressure he's going to feel. Maybe he love it, maybe he won't. It remains to be seen, I suppose. I think, yeah, yeah go on,
1: Yeah, just just on that that comment and the the comparison in the women's game with Aberg is Roseanne, and she had a really poor Solan Cup, and there was that thought of, is this different here? And it is. It, It really is. There is nothing quite like stepping out Europe against America. And I can't see, even just from looking on last week, I can't see Luke Donald making the same mistakes as what we saw a little bit at times in the Solheim Cup. I can't see Ludwig going out second in singles. I can't see him in the first tee shot in the foursomes. He will just build him into this Ryder Cup, I think, rather than go, yeah, we're going we're to. This is, this is our guy, this is a secret weapon. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Europe are going to go strong. They're going to go Hovland, Rahm. Rory and they're going to get in in the matches and they're going to get a person with each of them and they're going to be their leaders and and that's what Europe need to do. Rory was incredibly disappointed with his performance at Whistling Straits. He's a man on a mission to sort that out, which is why I think from a European side, you've got to be looking at the reliable patterns Justin Rose's record, you know, it's nearly 60% win rate. That's the same as Rory McIlroy's. Fleetwood's, they've got the best win rate on the European side as well. I think Ludwig is quite a good thing. He takes away the limelight randomly from these guys. Um, but I can't see him playing four matches.
0: No, I agree. Totally agree. But the, I think one thing, thing that. Go on, go on, Brian. you great
2: would be a great weapon in the in the four balls rather than the four I think, you know, I think anybody would want to play with Aberg in the
0: four balls, you know what I mean? And the thing is with that, isn't it, and this is always that conundrum, it's a great way to blood in a rookie because you can kind of cling on to the coattails of an experienced on fire Rory McElroy or John Rom in many ways, can't you? You can just piggyback their good play. And if you chip in a couple of times, you know, with with you know, a hard hole or whatever it may be, or your hole along important put um you know you can feel like you're in then aren't you it just takes one or two things as we all know in the game of golf it just takes one or two holes for things to turn for you on the flip side of that and i'm just completely contradicting myself here and this is a little bit of a insight into how the minds of luke donald and zach johnson must have been working over the last few months but you then go okay great chance to blood the rookies etc but then you go. Well, you can have Xander Showflay partnering Patrick Cantlay, and then you can have JT and Spieth, perhaps. And you know, goodness, they're good in four balls, and they've got good records. And and actually, then you think, actually, I probably do need my strong strong guys out there just to try and get some points on the board. So it's you're, you've got this weird conundrum, um, and it's going to be really interesting to see what they do in terms of um, potential um, sort of score lines. It's very very difficult to predict. But at certain points, um, sort of throughout, I'm just thinking as people get closer towards the Ryder Cup, and by Friday morning, obviously we'll we'll be well, even Thursday evening, we'll we'll be fully aware of who the pairings are for Friday morning. Um, Brian, what advice would you give to somebody who is looking just to place a bet on a session, for example? So, you know, by lunchtime on Friday, the score will be X. What are you looking for for that? (laughs)
2: So again, it's completely different whether it's the four balls or foursomes. So if it was a sums, I'd be looking for pairings that were, well, first of all, they have to be able to gel well, dovetail, dovetail well, they have to be kind of even personalities. They, they can't have personality clashes anything like that. They need to get on well. So I've played some of these things myself, but in a junior level, like nothing, nothing like this, obviously like, but still you feel it. And I actually hated the foursomes and i love the four balls you know what i mean and i remember playing with one of my friends in the foursomes and i was just so nervous we couldn't play anywhere near you know our best kind of golf and um so yeah i'd be looking for like i said i said earlier like guys like um Homa and connor marco are something like guys that just keep it in play all the time don't make many mistakes they're the guys that we want to to the in the um in the foursomes and so whatever team is that the most gonna you know pairings like that i'd be edging towards them and i think the europeans might have a lot i might have the edge there and then in the four balls i'd definitely be looking more at the like the a bridge and the, you know the bigger hitters, the guys that really can make the birdies and obviously you've got two chances of making a birdie or better or whatever
0: yeah and i would be going with those in the, in the four balls kind of you know what i mean so if you i've played a lot of foursomes and stuff in your amateur days um it is different isn't it it's completely different to when I mean, it's just, you don't really get any rhythm. You can feel completely out of sorts. On the flip side of that, you can hit five shots and they all go stiff and, and all of a sudden you're flying. You know, it's it's a really strange format, isn't it? And these guys, it's worth pointing out, don't play that much of it. And same for the Solheim cuppers as well in, in many ways. Um, is it different when you're obviously an elite golfer just to kind of keep to your rhythm and take each shot as it comes in that? Is that, is that not something that you should really factor in the difficulty of that particular format?
1: Yeah, and Marco Simone, right? The old the old holes. I think three out of four of them par three. So you're going to want your strong iron players on on them, and then on the even evens you want your best putters. I think the Americans are more settled in their foursomes and four ball pairings. That there is some natural matches there. Um, the fact that. Uh, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth have won eight out of their ten, four ball and foursomes together in both Ryder Cup and President's Cup. That's why Justin Thomas has been picked for this team. Patrick Cantley's under Schauffele. They've won, well, their, their record is 6-3-0. You know, mm. this, like, good friends, both of them very good friends off the golf course. Then I'm looking at the Sam Burns, Scheffler. I can't see Kepka playing it. He's more of a singles man. So, in order, like, if you if you're going to go into the who's going to earn the most points, you've got to look to those players that are going to be settled in them in those um, pairings. There, who's going to play a lot and and be comfortable with them? I think John Rahm needs to find a partner in foursomes now. F- for all accounts, I honestly thought John Rahm was thinking I'll be playing with Sergio.
0: Yeah, and then yeah. he's
1: like, "Oh no, I'm not." Then it was like, well, Pablo Larathabelle's looking like he's getting in. Me and Pablo, yay. Yeah, oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> and and he needs to he needs to find someone. I, I thought the chemistry between him and Tyrrell at Wentworth was, was good, but Tyrrell's not really into foursomes. Tyrrell Hatton's four-ball record is brilliant, but I could see that happening there. So for a, a European side that we always say, oh, you're, they get on so well and there's just, just natural chemistry there. I think there's more of that in the American team.
0: Mm, I totally agree. we
1: will possibly throw up a few different results because, you know, we're always like, Americans are very good at foursomes, great at singles. I, I think it's, I can see things switching around, but in terms of like outright winners, um, and you, you can also bet on how many points uh, each team gets, so eight of the last 11 Ryder Cups, uh, sorry, what have we got here? There's about a five point, that was it, seven out of the last nine Ryder Cups, the final score has been a five point gap or more. That's that's drummings at times.
2: Mm, so yeah.
1: you, you've got to be, like we're saying, oh, I think it's going to be really close. But mm-hmm. I mean, stats say it it might not be, but we don't know which side it's going to go. And also, you come to Europe, the Americans haven't won here since 1993. Like, it's, it's a huge achievement for them to come here and win. So, yes, their favourites in the book is, but because it's home soil, it all levels out again. I I honestly think the Ryder Cup is one of the hardest things to, to bet on who's going to win, but I think you can get more value by matches against each other or who's going to be winning the foursomes or who's going to be the, the top point scorer.
0: Yeah, certainly. I absolutely agree. I mean, the fact that we have pretty much guaranteed and we we know we're going to see a JT and speed partnership at some stage, perhaps even both days, maybe even all four sessions. Who knows? Um, the only thing that might scupper that is, like you say, the terrain of the golf course and then the Xander Showflame Patrick Cantley. The fact that you can do that with Team USA is, um, well, it's not something that has happened very often in the last 30 years. So that 30-year... Uh, winless uh, Ryder Cup but you know hoodoo that they've got uh, the the Americans on European soil is kind of a little bit irrelevant because it's a different entity to what it was when for example Mickelson and Tiger were being paired together which as we all know was a total disaster despite the fact that they were by far and away the best two golfers in the world at the time when that happened that's um, kind of what I was alluding to earlier, you know what I mean? Guys that
2: don't chill, just personality clashes, that just doesn't work in, in doubles, you know what I mean? Yeah. But a double, a, one match I, would, I wouldn't mind seeing actually would be something like um Hatton and Ram versus Harman, uh, uh, Harman and Kepka, something like that. That'd be a very yeah. feisty match. It, <laughs> it would. It have been rumoured to be played together in the practice, Harmon and Brooks Kepka actually, so.
0: And you know, can kind of see that, that, can't you? You can see that. Um. Harmon's a very gritty character, as we mm. as we as we know. It'll be a, it'll be a nightmare, I think, actually, for, from a European perspective. Um,
1: Brooks Kepler's knee looks a lot better than you know, a lot, better, but walking up and down them them slopes, I can't I, mm. I can't see them wanting to to risk that all the time. I think he'll play four ball. I, I do think he'll play four ball. Then obviously he's, he's unbeaten in singles, so I bet will kept because he winning win his singles match.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I'm,
2: I'm, intrigued. I'm intrigued to see the actual now. When did it come out, actually? I'll announce the them at first, the opening the first ceremony. First yeah, Thursday night. They, yeah,
0: at the first session. Yeah. So, That'll uh, be just the first one instead of announcing it, yeah. Yeah, just 100%. the foursomes. It's always it's always kind of it's how they round off the opening ceremony usually, unless really they're tricky. mixing it up. So that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. I know that for for both of you who obviously come onto this podcast every single time, having done plenty of homework and research, and obviously Sophie, you've been preparing for more commentary this week in Rome. Brian, obviously, you've got the models, and you're always looking at loads of quirky different bits and pieces. I, I, I'm just going to kind of end it really because this is the Ryder Cup um and when we talk about the Ryder Cup we talk all about the immeasurables we talked about Ian Poulter years and years ago and for whatever reason that bloke whatever form he was in whatever lack of talent he was perceived to have had was coming in and you just knew he was going to deliver the postman always there with the point at the end he always come good obviously we all know about Medina it's the immeasurables. And I know that you two will hate that because you like to have things a little bit, you know, measured. You want to give some fact and rhyme and reason behind it. But just for our betters, purely, because you know, we know what we know what like having a little flutter is like, um, particularly with, with pinnacle, you've got to kind of go with your gut a little bit. Um, how much does that come into your thinking, just individually and not strictly speaking, and obviously not encouraging people to do something rash and silly? But, um, Brian, when you're betting on, on things, I know that, you, you, will you sort of stray away from the model? Will you have a little look at just kind of what you're seeing with yeah. your own eyeballs, yeah?
2: Yeah, I do a lot of that. It's more like qualitative analysis uh, than quantitative. And, yeah, especially in, in the Ryder Cup or something like this, where a lot of it is mental. And that's that's exactly what I was talking about. So, like to so Max Like I think Max Home was a really good bet. Probably to be overall top rookie, you get about 3-1 to one on that when, when wow. the odds come out. And I think that's just a brilliant bet. And a lot of that is just gonna. You might. You can even call it guesswork. I'm thinking he's gonna play four or five matches just because of who we can. The way he can share with anyone. The way he can play all formats, and you know, just stuff like that. You can. You can get interested
0: in just you know good research and whatever. Yeah, certainly. Excellent. Excellent. And um, Sophie, I mean, you, from what you've seen this weekend in Spain at the Solheim Cup, you'll be looking at the immeasurables a little bit more, won't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I was, there was loads of people that was quite critical about the Justin Thomas pick and I'm like, you know, nothing, you know, (laughs) but there is, there's something that happens to these certain players when they come to represent a country. Uh, We see it with Carlotta Zaganda. Carlotta Zaganda has never won a major championship, but she goes to a Solan Cup and things change. Justin Thomas has won his two major championships. Yes, he's been in a slump which is good because it might mean his odds are a little bit less, but his team record in professional golf for Team USA is unbelievable. 16 5 3. Now I was speaking to Paul McGinley last week, a name drop, you know, <laughs> and he said if you're if you're a 60% win record, if you're over 50% in these matches, you are colossal. You know, he was talking about Leon McGuire in that sense. He's like, I can't stress, that puts you in the same category as the Ian Poulter's. Yeah. And Justin Thomas is that.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And I think that that was why the pick was justified and people saying, well, he's the the American Poulter. It's like, well, it, I mean, he's not quite reached that level yet, but actually... You look at both Presidents Cup, Ryder Cup, big moments, etc. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't really pick fault with that pick. To be fair, Brian,
2: I actually kind of, I actually kind of use an analogy earlier talking to someone else, and I was going kind to of use, I was saying that even if they're out of form or whatever, it's kind of like a derby in a football match. You know, when there might be two, let's say Liverpool and Everton, they're both out of form or whatever, and but then anything can happen on the day. You know what I mean? Or Man City, you know, whatever. One of them was playing really badly no one's surprised at all if the one that's playing badly wins you know what i mean because they just turn up on the day and bring their best and that's kind of the same kind of thing that can happen even if they're not informed you know the golfers
0: so what we're saying you know is I mean? is that discard everything that we've talked about on this podcast i'm really joking i'm really joking listeners who've made it right to the end um of this uh, final edition of the year uh from our golf podcast here on pinnacle well done, you! You obviously use a, quite a fair amount of stamina. Uh, so well played. Um, we'll be back obviously next year with the Masters uh, starting in April. And uh, just remember the betting resources pages where you can find articles. Sophie, you have one on there. Brian, do you have one on there as well?
2: Yeah, but, right. I, have, I think it'll be posted tomorrow. Tomorrow at lunchtime or something. Yeah,
0: amazing. Yeah, I've
1: had a have had a week off online, so just go to Brian's. Um.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll head to the betting resources page anyway um at time of recording it was uh, monday afternoon uh, we're headed out to Romy and Sophie. Brian has the glorious setup of being able to watch it um, in full technical. And um, I'll be
2: listening to you guys and recording you
0: guys. <laughs> See how our predictions have got on. Uh, thanks very much, uh, both of you, uh, for being on the podcast this year. We'll be back next year with Major Talk powered yes. by Pinnacle. And enjoy the Ryder Cup. Just a remember, uh, just a little reminder as well. I should say that all the odds that we have given were correct at the time of recording. Thanks for listening.